Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Let me pray for us as we kind of turn and begin to open up God's Word together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to build our lives upon a rock that is a firm foundation for our lives. Father, I pray that in the the storms of life and the, the winds of change that run throughout our world, and Father, all the opinions, Father, all the, the ideologies and all the things that come into our ears, and Father, all the temptation that comes our way, Father, would you help us to build a life upon your truth, upon your way, upon a relationship with you. Father, thank you that you love us, that you have rescued us through your son, Jesus, that you filled us with your spirit, that we might know your presence, and that we might walk with you. Father, I pray that that would be the thing that drives us this morning, is a desire to just enjoy you now and forever. Father, and to live in light of who you are and in light of your love for us. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most of today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 5 as we walk through this book of Proverbs. And I promise I didn't plan this to do this when the students were out of town. In fact, uh, I looked this week and I thought, this is probably a mistake. I should have done this when the, the raging hormones of teenagers were in the room. But because we're going to talk about sex today. Uh, Proverbs 5 is all about sexuality. And oftentimes when you start a sermon, you think of an introduction. How do I draw people into this topic? And uh, I really don't need one when you talk about sex in church. So I don't think I'm going to have to like do a lot of work to get you interested in this topic. I think uh, that's going to take care of itself. Let me just make a couple of statements right up front um, as we begin to talk about, um, uh, talk about this area. Proverbs speaks in generalities about this is the way the world typically works in the norm in, in the normal rhythms of life and, and it gives us insight and wisdom into how to flourish and thrive in the midst of those. It doesn't intend in these passages to deal with all the nuances of our life. And, and I just know, and I want to say it up front, whenever you talk about sexuality, uh, you're going to step on some toes because some people are walking in shame and walking in sorrow and hurt from things that have happened in the past. And Proverbs isn't addressing unique circumstances or trauma or some of those other things. It's talking about generally this is the way that works. So I just want you to know if, if this feels uncomfortable for you in some way, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, that God cares for you in the midst of whatever it is that he will walk with you through everything that you carry in life. And yet, um, sexuality is one of the most powerful forces in the universe, is it not? And we know that's true from marketing. We also know that's true from history. Most of us know that's also true from experience. The sexuality is an incredibly powerful force in this world. And, and I will say this, there is possibly no more difficult territory to navigate in this generation than the idea of sexuality. And so it's worth us pouring in a little bit of time here um, because 
Sex is a good gift from God. Sex is beautiful. Sex is God-honoring. And when we, when we walk in, the, in God-honoring ways, it's a wonderful gift that we're to enjoy. And so here's what we're going to look at today. As we, as we, think, about, uh, as we think about this topic, in, in a world of ours that's both wonderful and wicked at the same time, we each have to decide what we're going to do with our own sexuality, how we're going to value it, how we're going to steward or manage it, and how we're going to enjoy it. Well, we have to wrestle with what it is we're going to do. So let's look at Proverbs together. Are you with me? You excited? You're like, I'm not sure the right way to answer that in church. Um, it's okay to be excited. We'll see that in just a minute. But um, we're going to actually start in, in Proverbs 30. And we're going to come back to Proverbs 5. I think I've got this on the screen, so you don't have to look it up. But I want to start with a little poem in Proverbs 30. It goes like this. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. Uh, I always thought this was kind of a funny little poem that you see. And it starts off and it kind of uses this literary device of, uh, that was common in that day to say, hey, there's something incredible that's out there. And it starts and says, there's three things that are too, oh no, four things that are too great for me. And the fourth one is always what everything points to. And so when he starts this, you notice the three images are all from the world around us, things you observe, things that you see. And, uh, and so you get these things that are mysterious, the eagle in the sky. Any of you ever wonder about a bird flies? Uh, every time I get a plane, I get a little nervous. I look at those wings and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like I've read the physics, but it just, I don't know. Those are like flimsy little things out there and I'm just not sure because there's a whole lot of people in here. Uh, and so you, you think about a bird in the air and you look at it and you go, how cool would that be? And it's a mystery, isn't it? And then you look, and in, uh, the next one talks about the way of a serpent on a rock, which I'm not a snake guy, so that one kind of freaks me out. But, uh, you know, snakes tend to get on rocks because they're warm, and they soak up the warmth. But you think about it, how does a snake move in, across a rock without any limbs? That's always a weird thing. Like, you look at a snake, you're like, how's that dude going so fast? Like, I don't know how that works exactly. It's a mystery, isn't it? Yeah, you think about a ship. Uh, any, of, any of you sink when you get in water? Like, I tend to jump off a board, and I go down. And I look at a ship, and it's much bigger and heavier than I am. Uh, and it just floats along the top of the water and just kind of skirts along, you know, sailing along the water. It's a mystery, isn't it? Don't you love how real the Bible is? And it's saying is there's a created order to the universe. And, and as a part of that, one of the things that ought to blow our minds with mystery is the way of a man with a maiden. That just as a bird flying in the air, or a snake slithering along, or a, a boat on top of a ship is mysterious to us, the way of men and women is, ought to be mysterious to us. And so there's something interesting about this. These are all mysteries of life that I think we are meant to ponder and we're meant to think about. Now, uh, some of you guys are thinking right now, like, I know women are mysterious. Like, I don't have a clue. Like, my wife comes in, she cries, and I go... I thought you were having a good day. Like, I'm not sure where that came from. Or she comes in and she asks me a question and I'm thinking, I'm not sure what the right answer is. You guys ever get yourself in that place? Where, you know, she's asking a question and in your deal, you're circling the kind of Rolodex of your brain going, is there an appropriate response to this? Because I'm not sure what it is. I just don't want to be in trouble. Um, guys, sometimes that's the way that, that we tend to think about things because there's a mystery to the way these things interact. But there's also a mi mystery to sexuality and love and sex and companionship are supposed to be among the greatest wonders of the world. That's the way God designed it and the way we're supposed to think about it. But then, that's verses 18 and 19, the first part of the poem. You get to verse 20 and the poem's going to shift. And it's going to be this abrupt, stark 
kind of startling shift that takes place. And in verse 20, and so think, of, think about the way this, this reads if you read it all together. When it, it starts off and just says, three things are too wonderful for me, four I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, the way of a man with a maiden. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats, wipes her mouth, and says, I've done nothing wrong. Do you feel how abrupt that is? See, the poem is meant to be this kind of like, Oh, like that just took a change, right? From this beautiful mystery to this just kind of like finished with that sort of an approach. And it's meant to shock you in that kind of a way with the tone and the feeling. See, this is sex as appetite. This is sex as food, as consumption, as something just to be taken and enjoyed and consumed, but then moved on. It's not related to anything. It's not connected to anything. It's not, it, 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 there, there's no longevity to it. It's just something that you consume and you're done with at the end of the day. Um, now, here's the thing. The, the enjoyment of sex uh, here is not connected to anything other than physical pleasure. And, and I love how frank it is where the, the adulteress here, the, the, this person says, I've done nothing wrong. Um, in our society, I think people would look and say the same thing. They say, why are you making such a big deal? It's just sex. We say things like sex is sex. Like it's just, it's just something to be enjoyed. And if I enjoy it and you enjoy it, what's, what's the, where's the harm in that? I've done nothing wrong. And what Proverbs 30 is pointing to is two very different approaches to sexuality. That there's one that says sex is here for sex. And there's another one that says sex is a mystery created by God that is intended to be used within God-given boundaries. And it's wonderful and beautiful it is. The other option is that sex is a utilitarian way to satisfy its desires, apart from any spiritual significance, apart from moral boundaries, and apart from relational commitments. And those are two different approaches to sexuality. And so what we want to do as we look at Proverbs 5 today is I want us to look for, uh, really, what are we going to do with our sexuality? First is how do we value it? How do the scriptures tell us to value this gift that God has given called sexuality? And so I want to begin in verse 15 of Proverbs chapter 5 and just read. Um, and man, this whole thing is so rich. Like I'd encourage you to go back and just read through all of Proverbs 5 as you go throughout the rest of your, rest of your week. But let's start in verse 15. It says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and, the embrace, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Um, so Proverbs 5 begin, or here shifts and really talks about the God-given path for your sexual life. It tells you where you are to go with all of your passion and all of your drive. And he's speaking here of the joy of marital sex. He's talking about faithful, monogamous, uh, monogamous exclusive relationship uh, that's not an impoverished, isolated existence cutting you off from all the enjoyment of sexual pleasure. But it's actually supposed to be the location of where you are to find those fun and exciting experiences. That was verse 18. It says, rejoice in, uh, that could be translated, get pleasure in the wife of your youth. Now, isn't that fascinating that the scriptures command you 
to find pleasure in your spouse. Um, See, sex and pleasure was God's idea. Have you ever thought about that? Like, we didn't just spontaneously show up on the earth as we are. God designed your body to work in a certain way. God gave you certain body parts. God God gave you nerve endings. God gave you uh, just just the entire human system that works as it was intended. And he could have made this purely utilitarian, right? But he didn't. He made it pleasurable. He made it fun. He made it enjoyable. He created it to be something to be enjoyed. And so he says here, rejoice, find pleasure in the spouse that God has given you. Now here's an interesting one for uh, when you think about the, just the reality of what does this mean for you and for me. Um, I, I've got a picture here I want to show you. This, this, was, this is the inside of my wedding ring. Um, notice the verse that my wife had inscribed there when we got married. Um, it, it's this verse, rejoice in the wife of your youth. And I think, uh, you know, when you think about that, wedding ring is a signal to everyone else, everyone else in the world that you belong to someone. Right, a wedding ring is—it's just something that says this one is taken, and and he belongs to someone else. And I think that's part of what my wife was communicating in that to the world when she gave me a ring was, this one is mine. Like I've staked my claim to to this person, but it also is a statement to me, right? I'm the one you come to. With all of your with all of your desires, I'm the one you run to. If you want to look somewhere, look to me. She was saying. And so she put that on a ring with our wedding date to remind, my, remind me of the vows that we were taking. Um, and, and so here's what it means. This is what it means to rejoice with the wife of your youth. The key word here is wife. It means spouse. It means it's a relationship. That means it's, uh, this is the one that's a committed, committed, uh, committed, exclusive, forever long relational connection. It means marriage. Now, singles, can I tell you just something that you may already know, but you're definitely going to find out? Uh, Dating and relationships are tricky. Right? They, they don't always just, just go up and to the right. Like at some point, you're going you're gonna to begin to navigate some territory that feels a little bit difficult to, to, uh, to navigate. And you start to get interested in someone. And you start to spend time with him or her. And every time you walk in the room, they smile. And every time you say something, they laugh. Every time you say a joke, they laugh at your joke. And they compliment you, when you uh, that you look nice. And they say these things that are... Uh, that are great and because they're trying to impress you and so dating you're always putting your best foot forward right because it's like i want i hope i get another date like I, i'm going to take you out i'm going to navigate this this time together in such a way and ask you these deep probing questions and i'm going to look into your eyes instead of looking at the football game on the tv behind you at the restaurant and i'm going to you know i'm going to have this deep connection and conversation with you because i'm hoping that, that there's something more on the other side of that and that it continues to lead to another date, and another date, and another kiss. And, and you begin to see a progression that takes place there. And it's, um, but, but the thing is, you don't have to deal with all that bad habits and the baggage in their life, do you? Because then the night, you go home. Then the night, you're like, oh, I got through that. And then you go do your thing. And you still can go home and, and still deal with all the stuff going on in here. And you don't really have to deal with all the stuff going on within your, him or her because you get to still live a little bit separate lives, then you come together and have this glorious date. And then you go back home, right? But it becomes a little tricky because those things eventually get messed up. And here's what the danger is during that process, before you get into that committed relational connection, part of what, uh, what happens is it's easy to expedite your physical passion before you've built the spiritual foundation and the relational depth that you need to handle the, the, the gasoline of, of sexuality. 
And if you haven't built a solid foundation and you start trying to throw sexuality on top of it, the, the whole thing is on shaky ground. Um, you know, when Nan and I were dating, I'll just say this. As we got closer and closer um, relationally, it became harder and harder physically not to try to expedite some things. Uh, it was a really strange thing for me at the time. I remember just going, like, th- this girl it, it was, was very, like, boundaries at the first end. And then as we start to move towards engagement, I, she started to kind of open up. And I started to go, like, oh, this is getting more difficult now, <laughs> right? And so we actually had, we memorized a verse out of the Song of Solomon that said, do not arouse it or awaken love until it so desires. Let me tell you what that verse means. The idea is that we needed to manage the desire in it to express herself sexually until our relationship had deepened enough that the desire became this, not just a physical desire, but was connected to a spiritual and relational desire to connect with this person for the rest of my life. And so until that love had grown and developed, until it desired that full blossom of sexuality, we needed to keep an arm's length from the physical until the rest of our lives were ready for that magical experience. That's why verse 15 is going to kind of points us in a certain direction. And here's what I want to say. Sexuality is good. You need to understand that. And I just, I want to know because, I just want to say that because sometimes you, you get the opposite opinion in churches. It just is, sexuality is something to be avoided. Sexuality is something to be feared. Sexuality is something to be worried about. But you look at what scripture says, and it says it's a gift from God to be enjoyed. It's a blessing to you. Which is why verse 15 says, drink water from your own well, from your own cistern. It's interesting, this image, drink water. It's talking about sex, but he uses drink water. But you know why? Because it's a very natural, natural desire, isn't it? There's nothing shameful about drinking water. And what he's saying is your sexuality is nothing to be ashamed of. It's actually a gift. It's a very natural thing. The thing you have to do, though, is not go drink uh, anywhere, but drink in your own cistern. Drink in your own well. And what does he talk about? That it's not an image that we're used to, we're used to using, but what it's saying is, this is your personal, private source of nourishment and refreshment. That you, it's like you have your own well at your house that just you and your, you, you draw from. But you don't go out in the public square. And you, you enjoy it here. And so he's drawing this kind of connection, which is why in verse 16 he's saying uh, that you don't go out with strangers, you don't go out in the streets. Your sexuality is too personal, it's too precious to be scattered abroad. But it's something that should be kept within the context of your marriage relationship. And we know this from all kinds of physical examples, don't we? You've probably heard some of these before, but fire roaring within a fireplace provides comfort and warmth, but a fire outside the fireplace burns the house down, right? Like, you know, we understand how these things work in a physical realm. Why don't we think it would be the same in a spiritual realm? Uh, but it's true. Uh, we understand that, you know, electricity is a great resource in the wires of our home and in our devices, uh, but you don't go sticking a knife in an outlet because that's going to go poorly because you're not using it as it was intended to be used. Uh, a train engine uh, does a great job of accelerating and providing speed as long as you're on the tracks, but a train that goes off the tracks is dangerous. Like, we understand all these different ways that we see this. It's spiritually, it's true as well that, mar- that, that sexuality is a great passion. It's a great gift, but marriage is the God-given place that we're supposed to unleash that passion. It's where it should be displayed. Now, here's... Um, 
here's where this thing starts to turn a little bit. Uh, these verses actually get pretty erotic. Um, if you look at what it says in, um, as it talks about a cistern, it is a water source that you have to go into the ground to draw up from. A fountain is a water source that extends out of the ground and you um, receive it from there. These are female and male images. And Proverbs is being fairly erotic in the way in which it talks about these. And if that's not enough, he goes, offered a, he goes on to offer a prayer of blessing over the fountain and over this whole thing. And in verses 18 and 19, he says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her breasts fill you at all times. Let her always be, may you always be intoxicated in your love. When it says let your or may your, that's language of prayer and blessing. Um, this is why this is uncomfortable for us, isn't it? See, I, just, I see some of the smirks out there, and you're like, dude, you just blessed a fountain in church. Like, we don't know what to do with that, but because we have this in our minds, this idea that sexuality and spirituality are separate categories of life, don't we? So when you think about sexuality, you're like, we don't talk about sex in church or politics or other things. Now it seems like churches get all that confused. But, we, you know, we, we think sexuality is like over here and spirituality is over here. And these two are not related at all. They're separate activities. And what the Bible says is, no, these two things are the same. That our sexuality and our spirituality are connected at its very core. And I think that's an important thing for us to understand. And so this is prayer language. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. May her breasts delight you all the time. May you always be intoxicated with her love. There's not a lot of holding back there, is it? Um, it's, it's pretty frank, straightforward language that's being um, here. And I think it's important for us to recognize that God created us and God created sex. You know, our world thought it was a great idea to worship sex, but God does one better. And he says, no, sex is worship. Sex in the proper context can be God-honoring in the way in which you live it out. So to some, some extent, what he's saying is God's remedy for your thirst for sex is sex in the proper context and in the proper avenues. Um, so the picture here is lifelong companionship, man and a woman, passion and enjoyment together and where, they, where they experience pleasure and, and to invite you into that. This verse 19, the language that's there, it says, be intoxicated. Uh, isn't that a fascinating thing? To be intoxicated with marriage. I think there's, uh, it's the same word that later is going to be left, in, that's used for go astray. Uh, and it's one of those things that you're going to have this desire for this, this experience that's there, and you're going to funnel it down one path or another. And what Proverbs is saying is, choose to funnel that intoxicating, powerful flur- uh, moment in a certain direction. Be ravaged be infatuated, it might say. You're going to be intoxicated with something. Make it the right place where you go to find that release and that moment and that enjoyment. Uh, here's the thing. Is we all choose a map that we're going to follow with the passion we possess. Uh, we, we all have these natural drives and desires, and you're going to pick a map and choose where you're going to aim it. But you notice it speaks both to the quality and the quantity. It says, fill you with delight, be intoxicated. That's the quality of the relationship. Then it also talks about quantity. It says, at all times and always. And I I know that uh, this is always a place where guys are like, can I say amen or not? I'm not sure what to do. And like, you know, whether you're courageous or foolish enough to try that, I'm just going to leave that alone. I'm hoping you don't go there. But I think this is what Proverbs is teaching us. I think it's also why things shift so starkly in verse 20 is because that desire never dissipates. And, um, and I think it's important for us to understand 
the, that desire has got to be channeled in the right direction. So what do we, how do we value that desire? The answer is we value it within the context of marriage. And in our day, I think, you know, in, in that day, marriages were typically for practical reasons. And so oftentimes you were married because uh, you needed financial security or you needed a relationship or you needed, a, a, you know, someone to, to manage the, uh, the, the, the politics or cultural arrangements that were made. And so they were very practical things, but no one in that day married for romance. Um, we, but we've turned, and so, and so this passage, I think, corrected them and said, no, there's more to this than just efficiency of a, of a relationship that's been arranged for you. There's actually this personal, passionate connection and pleasure that you should enjoy. And so it pushed on that culture. Well, in our day, I think we've turned all that around. So we, we've made romance not into this, the, this kind of commitment and, and, and contractual or, or covenantal thing. We've made romance in, or we've made, we've made marriage into and relationships into just romance and sexuality. That this is what they're for. And so today we start with romance and sex apart from exclusive commitment and apart from any spiritual component. And that's why I think to our generation, this text actually pushes us in a different direction. It says you're right to desire sexual expression, but you must learn to follow God's ways in your relational and romantic life. And so it's pushing on us in a different way than it did that culture. And that's why verse 20 comes. It says, why should you be intoxicated? What did he tell you to do with your wife or your spouse? He says, be intoxicated with your spouse. Then he says, why should you be intoxicated with a forbidden embrace with someone else? Um, this, it's interesting that, that word intoxicated is used again. He's saying, you're going to desire this intoxication. Find the right outlet for that. Do you notice it also says forbidden? Isn't it interesting how much we're attracted to forbidden things? Uh, there's a great story in Augustine's Confessions where he talks about this, uh, th- this moment where he discovered something of his own, his own heart. And he talks about the pear tree uh, that, that he and his friends went and robbed some pears from a neighbor's tree. And here's what was interesting about this, because Augustine in, in his Confessions is talking about how do you figure out what's going on in the interior of your own heart and soul? And he's wrestling with, you know, what is driving the things that I do and the decisions that I make? And he came to this interesting conclusion. He said, my family, we, we actually had access to our very own pears. We, we had a pear tree of our own that we could have gone and enjoyed the pears. But me and my buddies were out and we looked and there was a fence over there and we jumped the fence and went to this other pear tree and stole some pears from our, from our, from our neighbor. And here's what he wrote. He wrote, we, we took an enormous quantity of pears, not to eat them for ourselves, but simply to throw them to the pigs. Perhaps we ate some of them, but our real pleasure consisted in doing something that was forbidden. The evil in me was foul, but I loved it. And see, what Augustine was beginning to recognize was there was something exhilarating about doing some, about crossing a line, about stepping across a boundary, about doing something that was, that was a little bit, that was forbidden, that was off limits. There's something that was like, ah, oh, I got away with something. And he said, the problem was that I knew it was wrong. It wasn't information I needed. But I actually liked doing something. There was something that felt good about that. And friends, it's important for us to begin to navigate the interior life of our own souls. Why are you choosing certain behaviors? Why do you move across God-created boundaries? We live in a world right now that's kind of a DIY worldview and morality where people build your own spirituality, build your own 
idea of how the world ought to work and this kind of hyper-individualized spiritual life that you get to self-determine and you look around and go, I'll take this and that from those different worldviews, but sexuality, I'm going to take this and that thing and I'm going to just kind of create my own stew that I want to eat and consume for myself in my own way and I want to, I want to throw off the shackles of church and throw off the shackles of morality and I, but, I, but I still want to keep feeling spiritual. And so we end up with this kind of weird, weird kind of hodgepodge of stuff in our lives. And our sexuality right now is running in a direction that's not God-honoring and it's not biblical in terms, of, in terms of our world. Here's what's interesting to me is this isn't new, is it? If you go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, what was the first thing that the serpent told them? Did God really say? And he just began to sow a little doubt. And just ask a little question. Well, well, if you cross that line, maybe you actually become more enlightened. Maybe you're actually experiencing something better. Maybe God's holding out on you. And so Adam and Eve took the what we call the forbidden fruit, right? Because they thought they were missing out. They thought that they would be more enlightened if they stepped into it. Now, this isn't some new novel thing. Everyone's following someone, and we have a map of where we live. I think it's why Jesus was constantly saying, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Because he was differentiating some of those things. And somehow Jesus wants to help us move beyond the illusions of our lives and the distortions of our, of our culture, but also the distortions in our own hearts. Things that we believe that aren't true. Oh, I'm not going to go down this road. But parents, let me just say this. Um, we've got to go beyond a, a, a kind of generic physical conversation about the birds and the bees. Uh, this needs to be a constant discussion point in our world with our kids. If we're going to, if we're going to foster teenagers that learn how to flourish. It's not just guarding them and protecting them from ever seeing anything, but it's teaching them how to develop routines and life and a hunger for God so that they run down a path seeking Him that develops a healthy trajectory of their life. And we're going to have to continue to do that. But I can almost guarantee you that you need to be talking about this more than you are. And I know it's uncomfortable, but I think it's important that we continue to come back, as Proverbs doing. This is actually written as a letter from a father to a son, trying to talk with him about the ways of the world and the dangers that are there, but also pointing him in the direction of the beauty of what God created and reminding him of the truth, reminding him of what he needs to believe. So that, um, so that, that kind of brings, goes through the first one, how to value our sexuality. We need to value it as a gift from God within a certain uh, avenue that we're, that's meant to be expressed and enjoyed. Um, let's go to the second one. How do we steward it? Um, we're going to be quick here. Uh, back in the beginning of Proverbs chapter 5, it says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-headed sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life and where she's headed. Her ways wander, and she does not even realize it. Um, it's interesting the, the way he shifts the focus here. Uh, you notice at the beginning of verses 2 and 3, it starts off talking about lips. It's like, and so in verse 2, it says, uh, that incline your, you know, listen to the wisdom that I'm telling you, and keep discretion, keep wisdom about you. And it says then, uh, and let your lips guard knowledge. Uh, lips is, is really talking about speech, right? So it's interesting that speech can actually guard knowledge. But then you get to verse 3, what do lips do? Lips that are honey lips. 
And it's the lips of a seductress. It's the lips that are actually inviting you to go away from the wisdom that he offered. Um, Friends, sometimes you have to speak truth to temptation. That's the point he's trying to get. Sometimes you've got to take that which is true and you've got to say no. You've got to speak truth to say, that is not going to lead me down the path that I want to go with my life. And so I'm going to say no. And you have to speak truth to temptation. That's what he's trying to get. But you notice that he talks about dripping honey. Um, I, I think it's interesting here that the son's lip ha- lips have to resist honeyed lips because as much as you have to drive the speaking of truth, there are always going to be other people speaking temptation to you. There's always going to be inv- invitations to run after something else. And it sounds trite, but the wise man or woman has to say no to sex outside of the boundaries that God has set. Friends, can I tell you how an affair happens? So I think that, that's ultimately, it's talking about adultery here. And I think that's, there, there's principles that are true for, uh, for, for singles before they get married. But I think the principles here are also true for us who are married. And Proverbs is telling us that affairs don't start with breasts and hips. They start with lips. And they, these honey lips, you notice this is whispered words. Here's how an affair starts. It starts with praise and admiration. It starts with, you know, you do something, something good at work, and they go, wow, you, you did an excellent job at that. And you kind of like that. You kind of like that admiration that you receive in that context. It starts with someone laughing at your jokes and commenting about how funny you are. And then throwing away a few more jokes just to, just to kind of work the crowd and work an audience with that individual. And while things maybe are tired at home and they're a little bit exhausting and they're a little bit, uh, you know, just the routines of life, and, and you've kind of got into that, you find yourself in this place where there's something exciting happening and someone that's noticing you in ways that maybe he or she seems like they've forgotten you, but now all of a sudden, this person, man, they see me. They, they really understand. And maybe it's not even uh, a funny thing or a praise thing, but maybe they, they see the pain that you're going through in some situation and they actually provide some comfort, a word of comfort to you. And all of a sudden you think, man, I needed that. I needed someone to, to, to give me that, that kind of comfort. And so you begin to talk a little more. And, and whether it's cracking open in a positive way or cracking open in a negative way, the hardships of your life or the goodness of your life, you just start cracking that door and seeing if they'll take another little step through and another little step through. And as they continue to move through that door, at some point it begins to escalate and then it begins to turn into something else. But you notice it starts with getting a need that's met. You're trying to get a need met outside of the place that God sent you or gave you to, to meet that need. So instead of going to your spouse and working through those things, you go to someone else and begin to, to foster a relationship there. And there's mystery, there's excitement, there's delight. There's also not the hardship. You also don't know their baggage. You also don't know all the stuff that they're dealing with. And so you just get the good side. And it becomes titillating and you begin to run that direction. But look at verse 4. Notice the jarring shift from honey sweet lips to the bitterness of wormwood that all of a sudden that that sweetness becomes becomes sour it's sharp it stabs you in the end like a knife uh, but you notice it says but her end leads to death meaning that 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 it seems like it's not a big deal when you just start flirting on the front end maybe it even seems like uh, not a big deal when you just start to explore a little more than that but if you follow that road all the way down it always leads you to some place of destruction. And it says her end for that reason. So understanding, uh, even when I, you know, maybe it doesn't leave such a bad aftertaste up front, but maybe that's because your conscience is hard. 
And maybe that's because your heart is far from the Lord and you've handed yourself over. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Eventually it leads you to a destructive place. And so how is it that we need to value it? We need to see it as a gift from God to be used within the context of, of a committed for a lifelong relationship. How are we to steward it? We're to guard it. We're to manage it. We're to, we're to protect it. It's something that only has one avenue where, that is, where that is, those needs are met, but we're never to go somewhere else to try to meet those needs. And so we have to steward and manage it well. So let's come to the last point. How do we enjoy it? Uh, verses 21 to 23 tell us that our sexuality and our spirituality are connected. It says, For a man's, eyes are, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked are ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his fo- great folly, he is led astray. Uh, see, this is a spiritual endeavor. God sees all of our lives. He actually broadens it in some ways beyond sexuality to include everything here. And so he actually goes, goes to a kind of a broader scale and says, this is, imp- this is emblematic of the whole of your life. But your life is meant to honor the Lord, and the Lord sees everything in your lives. A man's ways are constantly before the eyes of the Lord. And so part of what he's saying, why he's driving this, because remember, he's going from talking about the beauty of marriage in, uh, or beauty of sexuality within marriage here. And then he shifts and he says, beware the forbidden woman. And he goes and says, but the eyes of the Lord are always looking. He's reminding us that we're, we've got two paths to choose from. We've got a path that leads to life and a path that leads to death. This is the theme throughout all of Proverbs. And life and death in the book of, in the Old Testament and in Proverbs aren't just like the ceasing of physical existence versus the, the having of physical existence. It's talking about the quality of your life, the flourishing, the, the way that God intended your life to go. And when it's going to death, it's saying you're leading yourself away from the Lord in the way he intended. Life means you're leading yourself into the goodness that God has for you. And to enjoy sexuality, we ultimately need to surrender it to the Lord. It means we need to trust him with this area of our lives. He's our creator. He literally made us. He knows how we work. And he designed the universe to work in a certain way. And because of that, we're to, we're to trust him and, and we're to enjoy living sexually in, in a God-honoring way. Enjoying the pleasure that he's gifted us with. That means that followers of Jesus should stand out in our world, doesn't it? I mean, if we believe this to be true, if we are those who have the truth of the word of God that he made you, in his image, that he put his fingerprints on you, that you are the ones who bear his glory amongst, uh, amongst the earth, and you're the ones that, that carry his, his word and bring him honor and glory all the steps of your life, and you're the ones that seek him and that run after him. And if that's true, then that's going to be reflected in the way in which we live out our sexuality. And that's, I think, where Proverbs is pushing us. Verse 21, you notice he says that he ponders his paths. He talks about paths... How's a path created? I mean, think about if you, if you just think of a picture of a path through, through a forest. How is that path created? It's repetition, right? Someone walked down that path and they walked again. And as they kept walking, all the, the limbs that sort of stuck out there got eventually pushed back and all the grass and, and ferns or whatever it is that were underneath got trampled upon so that a little path developed. And it was a, a walkway through there and paths are really, it's talking about the habits, the routines, the rhythms, the way in which you do, you live your life on a regular basis. And so how it is that you walk in the course of your life will create the path that you go down 
And what he's saying is there's two different paths you can go. And the Lord sees your ways and he ponders your paths. And he's talking about the regular pattern you follow in life. Singles, can I ask you a question? Where is your path leading? Because what, 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 what Scripture ultimately calls us to do is set the Lord at the end of our path, that we're running after him. And as we pursue him and as we run after the Lord, that's going to determine the habits and the rhythms and the, the regular routines that we create on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and at 2 a.m. on Thursday when you should have gone to bed, and on Friday night, and on Saturday night, and again on Sunday, and the next week. And as you live out that rhythm, it creates a path, and that begins to shape the course of your life. So singles, are you guarding your heart for the Lord? Are you forming habits that that, that chase and run after Him, that honor Him with your bodies, with your eyes, with the places that you go, mentally, technologically, physically. Run after the Lord and create a path. Marrieds, are you guarding the oneness and togetherness of the union that God's given you? Are you keeping short accounts? Because it's, it, it's hard to enjoy the pleasures of sexuality when you're angry at someone. And so are you, do, you, do you let the sun go down in your anger? Are you resolving those conflicts and guarding the oneness so that you come back together? Are you creating regular rhythms of sexuality within the context of your marriage? Some of you got kids. It's going to be work. It's going to be hard. It's not going to feel like, like, like it used to because now you've got lots of, lots of activities and lots of calendars and lots of schedules and lots of stuff to manage, and it's going to be hard to carve out that space. But you notice what Scripture says. In fact, you know in the New Testament it says that we are never to hold out on one another sexually except for the purpose of spiritual commitment and prayer. But the rest of the time, there should be a regular rhythm and routine of sexuality within the context of marriage. And that's not a guilt thing. That's a pleasure thing. God designed us to work this way. And so he says, may you always be intoxicated with the wife that God gave you, with the spouse that God gave you. Um, and, and so how do we continue to foster that within the context of marriage? I think that's important. Now, let me end with this. Verse 22, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and hold him fast in the cords of his sin. Um, it's inevitable and escapable. Um, we are gonna, we're going to stumble and we're going to fall. And some of you right now are feeling the weight of that in, in really heavy ways. Um, and, and you know that I've, you, you've developed a path that maybe isn't the one that leads you where, to, to the end that, that you need to follow. And, and I want to encourage you. There's, you, can get, you can get on a different path. You can shift paths. I think one of the things the Bible says is that Christ is the friend of sinners. That means that Christ is the friend of sexual sinners. It means that, the, that there's forgiveness and grace for all of us, no matter which path we've been down. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Christ, newness comes. That when we ran down a path towards death, he says, you're a new creation, meaning there's new life where you brought death. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that important to know? And 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you, meaning some of us were sexual sinners. This has always been true. But you were washed, 
you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Friends, the Lord loves to forgive sinners. He loves to restore relationships. He loves to, 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 to gather marriages that are wandering and, and bring them back together so that you learn to walk in fullness and in flourishing and enjoy the things that we talk about. Because some of you are sitting together even right now, and I just know because I've done this for a whole long time because I've been married for a long time. You, you're not going to have year after year after year of honeymoon. There are going to be times when it's hard. And you have to press through that to get to the other side. There's times when you feel distance. There's times when you're going to have to, to forgive and move towards one another. And you're going to have to weather the storms of life and continue to build a foundation that God wants you to that, that, that creates a path that, towards health. And it's not always going to be easy, but the Lord will continue to work within your marriage and he will bring about goodness there. And I know that to be true because I've seen it over and over and over. But to some of you that are doubting that right now, even as you're sitting together, just going, ah, I don't know. And I just want to, I want to encourage you to trust the Lord with this area of your life. To just trust and be obedient and be faithful and say, the job for me today is to run hard after the Lord and establish the routines and the rhythms and the regular pattern of life until I see what the Lord is producing further down the road and trust that that's true. Is that good news for some of us? Uh, Let me say this. The last thing I want to point out here is Ephesians 5 tells us that ultimately this is not just about honoring God in the the context of our marriage, but that we, we won't really know the fullness of our marriage unless we understand that it actually it actually reflects who god is to us husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish your marriage is a reflection of god's love for you and when you understand that God loved you, that even though you weren't perfect, that he loved you and and, and was willing to give him his life for you, that he might make you beautiful, that you might be in relationship with him for all time. He says Christ is, it's like God is looking for his bride, that he wants you to be his lover. He wants you to be his companion for all time. And so he sent his son to save us, that we might walk with him, so we might know union with him and relationship with him and companionship with him and life with him forevermore. And your marriage is a reflection of that love. And we build it on the foundation of that love. That Christ loved us, therefore we love our spouse. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that, that you would stir our hearts, even now, with the love of Christ. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were running away from the Lord, going our own way, and that you redeemed and rescued us through your son, Jesus. By his grace, we can be made new, and in being made new, we can experience new life even now and forever life with you. Father, I pray for those who are feeling the weight of this today. Father, would you just breathe love into their hearts through your spirit right now? Father, would you breathe breathe peace into those who feel anxiety? Would you, be, would you breathe newness and freshness into those that are, that are stale? 
that feel stuck. Father, those who are in a rut, going the wrong direction, Father, would you, would you just lift them up even now, lift the countenance of their eyes to see a new way. They might run after you. They might trust you for this powerful, wonderful area of their life. Father, we pray all this through your Son, Jesus, and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.